Have you guys enjoyed those videos so far? Haven't they just been amazing? Man, to just set us up for what we've been talking about this weekend. We began our time together talking about the master craftsman who crafted all things, created, designed everything. He's infinite, holy, and powerful, and he's designed you and I. That you are not an accident. No matter how many people may have told you that in your life, no matter how many times you've felt that, you are not an accident. That you were put here on purpose, for a purpose, by the one who gives us purpose. But the reality is all of us have sinned. This isn't just a you thing or a me thing. This is us. All of us have sinned. All of us have strayed away from God. We've all chosen our own selfish desires. We've all said, you know what, God? I understand this is what it means to follow you, but I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And there's been consequences for that. That the brokenness of the world, the evil in the world, it all comes back to the reality of sin in the human heart. But thanks be to God that when he looked at us running away from him as enemies of him, instead of turning his back on us as we have turned our back on him, he ran towards us. And maybe some of you just needed to come to camp this weekend to be reminded that God is running in your direction. That he is for you, not against you. That he wants to be close and in relationship with you. And last night it was so powerful to watch so many of you make decisions. I was so proud of you for for those of you that that said, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. I'm ready to say yes to him. You made the best decision of your entire life. The most important decision you could ever make. For those of you that said, you know what, I've been wandering and I want to come home. I want to be intimate and close with Jesus again. There were some of you who said, look, I'm not ready to say yes to Jesus, but I've got questions, and instead of ignoring those, I'm going to start to address them. I'm going to start to acknowledge them. I'm going to lean into those. And students, no doubt about it, you have great questions, but don't miss this. Your great questions deserve great answers. And it's been my experience that sometimes the great questions that we have, instead of pursuing answers to them, whether they're emotional pain we've experienced in this life or intellectual issues we have about believing in God, instead of pursuing answers to those, we almost use them as justification to sin. That we almost sometimes use them as a reason to say, well, you know what? I'm not going to consider God because if I consider God and find out he's real, he's going to want to change my whole life. And I may not be able to continue doing these things that I want to do. So I'm going to continue to live in this ambiguity. And could I just caution you from staying? For, for, could I just caution you from being, becoming someone who stays in that ambiguity? So lean into those questions. Seek those answers. And then there were some of you last night who you've been sensing all weekend that God has been putting something on your heart. He's been calling you to do something, to step out in faith, to live boldly for him. I was just talking with Bella. I think she's over here somewhere. I was just talking with Bella and she was saying that she feels like God is calling her to tell her peers about Jesus. I don't know what it is for those of you that were in that group, but I'm so excited to see the ways that the kingdom of God expands because of your obedience because of your willingness to say yes to Jesus. So the thing we gotta wrestle with, with our last chapel, our last moment together here, is really where do we go from here? What do we do from here? So for some of us, we wish we could just stay at Hume, New England for the rest of our lives. That we wish we could just be here. And, and, and in some ways, this is what heaven's gonna be like. I mean, there won't be like anyone preaching, I don't think, because we'll have Jesus. Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna follow him. So I'm not gonna do that. 
but we'll be singing to him. We'll be enjoying perfect community with one another, enjoying his creation, the new heavens and the new earth that he is designing for us. But that's not where God has us yet. That's where we're going as followers of Jesus. But, but he is inviting us and calling us back into our places of origin, our communities, our families, our friendships, our relationships, He's inviting us to take our skills, our talents, our passions, our gifts, and offer them to him to be used not to advance our kingdom, but to advance his. So where do we go from here? I told you guys earlier in the weekend that I became a Christian going into my freshman year of high school. I went to a camp similar to this not wanting anything to do with God. And by the end of the week, it was so obvious to me that God was real, that he loved me, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. And I remember praying, I said, okay, Jesus, I give you my life, but would you make it adventurous? I don't want, I, I sometimes see Christians, they look really boring. They look like they're living really boring lives. A lot of Christians look bored. And I, I just wanna, maybe you're, you've noticed that in some people. Can I just lovingly say this? If Christianity is boring for you, it's not because Christianity is boring, it's because the way you're doing it is boring. That Christianity isn't boring. In fact, it is the greatest adventure, the greatest invitation to the greatest thrill that you've ever been invited into. And as we read our Bibles, it's not, okay, I'm just sitting here reading these words on these pages so I can check off this list. No, no, you are coming face to face with God. You are encountering him through his word, and then you are going out into his world to tell people about him. And it is an incredible adventure. And it doesn't matter what school you go to or what job you have or where you end up living, God wants to use you in those places. When I woke up to the reality that God existed, that he loved me, that he died for me and rose from the dead and I started following him, I remember I would go to school and as I was walking to school, I would pray this simple prayer, Jesus, my life belongs to you, use me today. And you guys, school took on a new meaning for me. It was no longer just like boring, monotonous, gotta get through the day, gotta convince people to think I'm cool, gotta avoid other people thinking I'm, you know, I, I, it wasn't about that anymore. It became about this mission field. It, it became this opportunity to live out my faith. I, I remember one morning walking to school and saying, Jesus, you have my life, my life belongs to you. Use me today however you want to use me. And I walked into one of my classes, it was called Conceptual Physics, which is like a fancy name for like a really not smart math class, like math and science, that's what it was. And so I, I was in this class and we were working on this project and I remember we had a substitute teacher that day and, and he said, hey, sit wherever you want so we could kind of sit wherever we want. He said, sit wherever you want and uh, just work on your projects today. That's what I want you to do for the whole period. And so I sat down and I got out my notebook and was about ready to start working. And then the girl who sat next to me, her name was Heidi. And at that time, Heidi was the president of the witchcraft club on our campus. Didn't go to a Christian school. So she was the president of the witchcraft club on our campus. And at that time, I was the president of our Bible club on our campus, which was awesome. And Heidi, I'll never forget, turned to me. And she said, I don't get it. Why do you believe in God? And you guys, I was terrified. I didn't know how to respond. 
I, I didn't know where her, her anger and frustration was coming from as she would later share with me she had grown up in a really painful, difficult life circumstance and family and so she blamed it on God and so she turned the opposite direction but in that moment, I had to try the best that I could to articulate my faith and I don't think I did it perfectly. There were a lot of mess ups, there were a lot of ums and ands and likes and I'm not sure, I was trying to piece the, the puzzle together, I'm trying to remember scripture verses but here's the thing guys, you know what I don't remember from high school? I don't remember any of the grades that I got. I don't remember what questions were on the SAT. I don't remember what me and my friends ate for lunch. I don't remember the scores of the games that were played. I don't remember what the dances were like, but what I will never ever forget is that moment with Heidi where I took a step of faith and said, okay, Jesus, this is what you've created me for. I remember several years later, I was walking to school one morning and I prayed, Jesus, my life belongs to you. Do whatever you want to do in and through me. And uh, as I was walking to lunch, I remember I saw this guy sitting in our quad by himself and something in me, I just sensed God telling me, I want you to go sit with him. And to me as a high school student, that seemed crazy. I don't know him. I don't have friends that know him. This is weird. He's going to think I'm weird. What if he attacks me? I don't know what's going to happen. But I just felt like God said, I want you to go sit with him. And so I went and I sat down with him and I looked at him and I said, hey man, my name's Eric. What's your name? And instead of looking at me, he went into his backpack and he grabbed out a piece of paper and he started writing something on it. And then he handed it to me and he said, it said on it, hi, my name's Joe. I'm deaf, so I don't like to talk, but we can write. And for a month, Joe and I ate every single lunch together, sharing our stories. He later told me that he was an atheist, and the reason he was an atheist is because he couldn't hear, and he didn't understand how God could allow him not to hear. I had the opportunity to give him a Bible and to share my new faith with him. You see, I, I, I don't remember going into the DMV and taking that test and all the questions that they asked to get my permit and my driver's license. I don't remember what graduation was like. I don't remember if I even had a graduation party, but what I'll never forget is that conversation, those moments with Joe. You see, students, you have been invited into the greatest adventure in the history of the world. I remember one time I was flying to um, Spokane, Washington to look at a school. This was like my uh, senior year. I was looking at this school and, and on the flight back, it was from Spokane, Washington to Seattle and then from Seattle to Los Angeles. And on the flight from Spokane to Seattle, we were on a really small plane and there was probably only 60 seats on the plane and only about 10 of us on this plane. And, and yet they told us, you have to sit right where we've assigned you to sit. And as it would have it, I, I was sitting right in the middle seat and my friend Goose was sitting next to me on the window seat and then the guy sitting next to me was an absolute stranger and his name was Abe. And as we sit down, I remember Abe pulled out a magazine from his backpack and started looking at it and I'll just describe it this way, I felt uncomfortable looking at those pictures. And I remember sitting there going, man, I wish I had something to give him. I wish I had a book or something that I could give him to point him to Jesus. And eventually he put the magazine away and we started talking and he began to share with me about how he used to be a Christian. But some things had gone on in his life and he just decided he wasn't gonna follow Jesus anymore. 
Well, we decided to eat dinner together at the Seattle airport before catching our flight. He was with us on the flight to LA. And so we're in the Seattle airport and we all get our different food and join this, it's a giant food court and we're sitting down at this table and, and right as we're about to eat, all of a sudden this guy walks up behind me and just taps on my shoulder. And I turn around and I've never seen this guy before in my life and he's dressed in all black. And he hands me this wrapped thing and he just, just staring at me, he hands this to me and he goes, God told me to give this to you. And I was like, creepy. Like you don't do that at airports. That's weird. That is not cool etiquette at an airport. And as I take this from this guy, I remember Abe, like his eyes got real big and he goes, does this happen to you a lot? And I was like, never Abe. I don't know what's in here. I'm sorry, this is weird. As I open it up, I see that it's a book that I had given to about five other people that Christmas season that were like Abe struggling in their faith that had distanced themselves from God. And, and this book was meant to help people reconnect with God. And by the time I realized what was going on, I looked back and the guy who had handed it to me was gone. Never saw him again. Well, we have to rush to our airport or to, to, our, to our plane to get on the flight to LAX. Abe is with us. And I remember Abe was sitting in the front and I was sitting in the back. And as we're, as we're heading out to, uh, as, as we're flying, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this book, this is for Abe. That God gave me this to give to Abe. And so I, I, th I think to myself, okay, um, I, I wanna write a note to him. I wanna write something. And, and I looked in my backpack and I didn't have any pens. And so I just prayed. I said, God, you've been doing miracles today. Would you put a pen in my backpack? I know you can do that, Jesus. You've had 5,000, you can put a pen in a backpack. Would you please do that? And I reached my backpack and you'll never guess what happened. There wasn't a pen, no pen at all in my backpack. And I felt like it was like God's way of saying, homie, I don't need you to write anything, okay? So we land and I see Abe and I go, Abe, I think God wants you to have this book. I think that whole thing that happened in Seattle was about God telling you that he loves you. You see, students, I wish I had more of those stories. But what I do know is that when I'm intentional about opening my life to God, he does things I could never imagine. Did you know that God can do far more through a willing person than a talented person? That students, if you're simply willing, if you're simply open to God using your life, he will. The question I want to spend our time talking about this morning is this, and if you're writing notes down, you can write down this question. It's this. How do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? All of us are going back into our communities. How do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? Now, immediately that might scare you, that idea. It's, it reminds me of my favorite, my favorite Christmas song is Mary Did You Know. Anybody else like that song? You know that song, Mary Did You Know? It's an awesome song, right? Reflecting on what did Mary know. But I think there's a more important question, and it's this. Church, did you know? Church, did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of every single believer. Paul gets on this in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples 
of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Friends, this is incredibly encouraging. It doesn't matter what people say about your bodies. It doesn't matter what somebody says, man, you don't look like this or you have this or, or you know, something must have happened. Man, why, why do you look that way or whatever? You, you need to understand that the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, literally lives inside of you. And that's not something you earned. That's a gift from God. That, that, should, that, should, that should communicate to you all the worth and value that you need. That God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. God sings songs over you. He loves you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That means it doesn't matter what insecurities or limitations you are used to holding on to. You can let those go because God's spirit lives in you. And when God's spirit lives in you, anything's possible for his kingdom. The first thing we need to do if we're gonna reveal Jesus to the world is this. We need to commit to community. I want you to write this down. Committing to community reveals Jesus. Committing to community reveals Jesus. We're gonna end our time looking again at our Ephesians 4 passages. Paul continues. In verse 25, he says this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. Here's the problem with so many Christians today. We are meant to function as one body, but we live as a bunch of severed limbs trying to do it on our own. And look, sports and extracurriculars and all those things and tutoring, everything, it's all really important. It's important stuff. But you have got to figure out a way in your schedules with your time to prioritize being connected to the body. Because if you're like a severed limb, a severed Christian out there trying to live on your own, it's not going to work. And better than that, it's not what you were designed for. Friends, there's no such thing as an only child in the family of God. Paul says, give up that fake talk like, yeah, everything's okay. I'm independent. I'm by myself. I can do my own thing. Give it up. Speak truthfully and stay connected to one another. This means whenever your youth group meets, you got to be there. When your community's gathering, you got to prioritize it. And, and I, I, I don't want to step on too many toes, but I have seen so many students who have prioritized sports and extracurriculars over being a part of their church. And, and, and what happens is they end up disconnecting from their faith. Friends, is the goal Harvard or is the goal heaven? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you can't still go to Harvard and God's calling many of you to go to Harvard. That's an awesome thing. But what is your first priority? It's to live in the ways of heaven. And that means being together. I love what the Reverend Dr. Tony Evans says. He says this. I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Amen. For sure, you're saved by what Christ has done in the cross and in the empty tomb for you but you were not designed 
to live disconnected from the body. If you want to reveal Jesus to the world, commit to that community, that radical sense of unity that you have because right now in our culture, as so many of you are seeing it, we are more polarized than ever that there's this group that believes this and there's that group that believes this and this people hate those people and they talk about these people and we've all siloed out into our own little echo chambers. What's amazing about the body of Christ is that it is the most diverse group of people from every different culture, every different ethnicity, every different generation. And what unifies us is that we all are sinners at the foot of the cross saved by grace. I don't even know why I'm going there, but I just, just got to say this. You know, I, I, I read somewhere I, I, a critique of Christianity. Somebody said, Christianity is a white man's religion. Friends, if you just look at the data, do you know what a white man's religion is? A white man's religion is atheism. Statistically, Christianity is the most diverse religion on the face of the planet. Spreading across Every culture, language, ethnicity, country, generation, it's incredible. And you have been invited in, and the church needs you. Church needs you to be a part of it. Number two, how do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? Number two, dealing with your stuff reveals Jesus. Dealing with your stuff reveals Jesus. Paul continues, verse 26 to 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Here's just one example of Paul saying, hey, deal with your stuff. And one of the greatest sources of pain that you'll experience in this life is gonna be relational wounds. It's gonna be someone else hurting your feelings. It's gonna be someone else letting you down. And when somebody crosses you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody sins against you, you have two options. Number one, you can go talk to everyone else about it. Or number two, you can go talk to that person. And everyone in your life who doesn't know Jesus is going to advise you to go talk to everyone else about it, to go post about it on Twitter, to go post about it on Instagram, to create a little Snapchat group and talk about it there. Jesus is going to challenge you to something bigger and better. Jesus in Matthew 18, in his own words, he's so practical. He said this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And remember in this day, the, the church was a really connected community. So it's not a mega church at this point. It's, it's a really connected community. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus says, look, if somebody hurts you, if somebody offends you, don't go gossip about it. Don't make things worse. Go to that person. Go talk with them. Have a one-on-one conversation. And if that doesn't go well, bring, bring a youth pastor along. Bring a small group leader. Bring, bring a coach, a parent, someone to help. And eventually, if they just aren't willing to admit what they did, Jesus says, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Did he gossip about them? Did he hate on them? No, he loved them. He may have not taken advice from them. He may not have considered them to be spiritual brothers and sisters, but he loved 
them. A willingness to forgive will show people that you believe in Jesus because right now in our culture, it is so much easier to cancel, to write off, to block, to just say you're toxic, you're harmful. But Jesus has invited us to forgive. God's grace was powerfully displayed in the life of Corey Ten Boom, who had been imprisoned with her family by the Nazis for giving aid to Jews early on in World War II. Get this, her elderly father and beloved sister Betsy died as a result of the brutal treatment they received in the prisons. God sustained Corey through her time in a concentration camp. And after the war, she traveled throughout the world testifying to God's love. Just consider this. Corey Ten Boom is, is in a concentration camp experiencing the most evil brutality. So much so that her beloved sister Betsy and her dad die because of how they were tortured and mistreated. She gets out of the concentration camp and instead of hating on God and turning her back on God, she starts to travel the world as this platform is opened up for her to tell people about his love. In her book, The Hiding Place, she wrote about a remarkable encounter that she had in Germany, and she said these words. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that as you say, he, talking about Jesus, has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine and I who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale about the need to forgive kept my hand at my side and could any of us blame her? Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I, I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love 
itself. There was a man in our church when I shared that story who came up to me with tears in his eyes and he said, I gotta tell you, on my mom's deathbed, when she was passing away, she said her final words to me. And she looked me in the eye and she said, forgive everyone, forgive everyone, forgive everyone. She said the same thing, the same two words repeated three times and then she breathed her last and passed away. Forgiveness is hard and I can't even imagine what Corey Ten Boom experienced and yet it's so important because the reality is unforgiveness has a bunch of ugly friends. To help me with this, I need to invite up my friends, uh, Aiden and Aaron. Can you guys welcome Aiden and Aaron up here real quick? Come here, Aiden and Aaron. Okay, so here's what I want you guys to do. Aaron, right? Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Hold that, Aaron. Aiden, why don't you come over here real quick? And you hold on to that, okay? Hold on to that tight. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's what I've discovered in my life. Is that when you choose to not forgive, when you choose to live a life of unforgiveness, for the very legitimate wrongs that have happened to you. That along with unforgiveness comes some really ugly friends. Ain't calling you guys ugly. All right, now you know what I mean, okay. Along with unforgiveness comes some really ugly friends. And they go by the names cynicism. They go by the names bitterness and resentment and hatred. And the problem is, hold on tight, guys. And the problem is, that when you live your life, go ahead and hold on that tight. You can wrap it around if you need to. When you live your life with unforgiveness, that what you're gonna take along with you and what's gonna hold you back is bitterness and cynicism. And many of you have been in this. You're trying to move forward in relationships. You wanna feel joy. You wanna feel contentment, you want things to go well, but you can't help but ruin them in the process because you're so angry, because you're so cynical, because you've got resentment and bitterness and it's literally getting in the way of everything in your life. And this is serious stuff because some of you have almost made it your reputation that you're a resentful person. It's become your reputation that you're jaded, that you're experienced, that you know what the world is like, that you're angry and you think that's cool. The problem is it's all rooted in unforgiveness. And yet here's what's so powerful about the gospel and about the Bible is the word forgiveness, it literally means to let go. You see, some of you, you feel like, the problem is bitterness just comes with me everywhere I want. It's like bitterness is holding on to me and resentment is holding on to me and anger is holding on to me. But maybe the truth is you're holding on to them. And the word forgive in the Greek language literally means to let go. And maybe just maybe your first step of freedom your first step out of resentment and anger and cynicism is to forgive. And I don't know who you need to forgive, but I bet you do. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? Thanks, gentlemen. Number three, 
How do we live in a way that reveals Jesus to the world? Number three, setting an example with your life reveals Jesus. Setting an example with your life reveals Jesus. Let's continue in Ephesians chapter four. Now we're in verse 28 all the way to 31. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. You see, what you say with your mouth and what you do with your life says a lot about what you believe about Jesus. And look, we got a world that doesn't see any problem with young men exploiting women through pornography. But that's just not a guy struggle. We have a a world that says, ladies, if you want to look at porn, that's totally fine. That's totally normal. That is exploitation. We got a culture that is totally fine with men sliding into girls' DMs and asking for nude pics. Ladies, if a guy ever asks you for a nude pic, you block him, you unfollow him, and you pray that God's wrath doesn't pour on him. And maybe some of you are going, oh, but but Herrick, but Herrick, if I don't tell him about Jesus, who will? You are not God's only instrument. You, you get out of that relationship because if a guy is asking for a nude pic from you, he does not care about you at all. You're merely an object to be used. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In the locker room, when you're with your friends, if, if your mom or dad were to just like show up into the, those conversations, would you be psyched about that? Would you feel good about the things you're talking about? You see, and, and, and culturally, here's the thing. Apart from God, nobody can argue that any of those things are sinful or wrong. In fact, this is why Christianity is so important because absent of Christianity, everyone can just have their own morals and do whatever they want. And the danger of that is, what if somebody does something to you that you don't like, that you don't agree with? On which grounds do you stand to say that's wrong or that's evil? You have to appeal to a higher standard and we do that as Christians, that we appeal to God's word. And you know what God's word said? It says this, every person on planet earth is made in the image of God. So why are we against racism? Why are we against bigotry? Why why are we against talking inappropriately to women? Why are we against taking advantage of people and exploiting people? Because every single person is made in God's image and is valuable to him. And all of you have that. Why do we treat each other Why are we called to treat each other as precious image bearers of God? Because we are brothers and sisters. if, If just the Christians at your school loved each other, served each other, cared about each other, had pure minds in their interactions with each other, your school would take notice. 
What if your youth group became the safest place that every time somebody came into your community, they were loved, they were cared for, they were welcomed in, they were valued, they were seen? Your youth group, your community would become, your church would become the safest place. If you couldn't speak for a whole day, would anybody know you're a Christian? If we could hear the things that you and your friends talk about when it's just you guys, would anyone know you are a Christian? You see, the danger of coming up to a camp like this is you can walk away feeling like, man, I had this real encounter with Jesus. I got to experience, I had all the spiritual feels, man, it was awesome, it was a vibe, it was so cool, I felt so close to God, it felt warm and cozy about my relationship with Jesus, and then go home completely untransformed. And it's because of what Jesus said in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, he said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The danger of camp is this, that you could hear Jesus knocking at your door, maybe louder than you've heard him in a long time up at camp. You could open the door, have a moment with Jesus where he's sitting on the front porch, you're in the back, you're in the house, you guys are talking to each other, you're waving to each other, you're raising your hands, you're singing, he's on the doormat, you're inside the house, you're having a great experience and you think that's all that he wants for you. Oh, Jesus has come for much more than your doormat. Jesus wants to be let in the house. Jesus wants to own the keys to your house. Jesus said, once you hear me knocking at the door, and maybe for some of you, you've heard him knocking at this winter camp. Do not leave him on the doormat. Allow him to come in. Allow him to transform you. You see, one of the greatest threats to the gospel advancing is people who know it, who know the gospel in their heads, but aren't living it every day, aren't walking in it every day, aren't inviting Jesus in every day to correct us, to challenge us, to lead us. And lastly, number four, how do we reveal Jesus to the world? Number four, building God's kingdom, not your own, reveals Jesus. Paul closes out with verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul says all these things that I'm asking you to do, they may seem nearly impossible and like nobody else in your culture does them. That's kind of the point. And he says, remember, when I'm challenging you to forgive somebody that you don't think deserves your forgiveness, remember, I forgave you. When I'm challenging you to love somebody who's been mean to you at school, remember, I loved you first. When I'm challenging you to to be willing to trust your life into his hands, Remember that he stretched out his hands and gave up his life for you. Students, I take great comfort 
in this, that Jesus will never ask you to do for others what he has not already done for you. But everything he's asking you to do for others, he has already done for you. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. In other words, for all people, the gospel is the most powerful thing in the entire world. And don't let anyone tell you that you're too young to live out your faith. Don't let anyone tell you that you're too young to make an impact. Don't let your culture, don't let anyone lie to you. There's a sophomore in our high school ministry, her name's Abby, and we were doing a missions project in our city. We were going out and serving, and we were at a park, and Abby started to have a conversation with this seventh grade girl named Alexis, and, and Abby begins to share her faith with Alexis, starts telling her testimony to Alexis, starts opening some Bible verses, John 3, 16, Romans 10, 9, some of the ones that we've looked at this weekend. And Alexis, on the spot, decides that she wants to surrender her life to Jesus. And in this park, in the inner city of Pomona, Abigail, who's a 10th grader, leads Alexis to Christ. A week later, Abigail calls Alexis and says, hey, I just wanted to check in on you. Have you been reading that Bible that I gave you? Have you been wrestling with God and thinking through what it means to follow him? And, and, and Alexis said, yes, I have. And I've been telling my friends about him. And, and in fact, I've got five of my friends over at my house right now. Could I put you on speakerphone and you tell them about Jesus the way you told me about Jesus? And Abigail says, okay, sure. She puts her on speakerphone. Abigail runs through a few of the Bible verses we've talked about, shares her faith, and all five of those girls over speakerphone give their lives to Christ. Amen. How might God want to use the first few conversations you're gonna have with people when you head home? The first few FaceTimes or video chats the first time you jump back on that video game and begin talking with people, how might God want to use those conversations not to build your kingdom, but to build his? I, uh, I've always struggled with reading and, and I, I wish I read more. I'm trying to read more. But I, I at least read Twitter, so I feel like I read a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to, and I remember reading this, this quote on, on Twitter. Somebody posted it. It just said this. Start living today the stories you want to tell on your 83rd birthday. Start living today the stories you want to tell on your 83rd birthday, students. I'll challenge you to consider what stories are you living today? And are those gonna be worth telling? Because your SAT score, it probably won't be worth telling. The things you and your friends do, the pranks that you play, probably not worth telling. The grades that you got, the dances that you went to, probably not worth telling. But those moments where you said, Jesus, it is about your kingdom, not mine. This body, this life belongs to you. Do whatever you want. Use me for your glory.
those, those will be the stories that you're going to want to tell and that others are going to tell. Each one of you have been crafted by the master craftsman who gave up his life to re-craft you. And he is still committed to that work for as long as you're here and as long as you're willing. So students, go live a life that reveals Jesus to the world. And that will be a life that you'll look back on and be proud of. That'll be a life that you'll look back on and say that's what it's all about. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, what a gift it's been to be with every single one of these students and leaders and pastors and new friends of mine in this room. God, we've talked about a lot of stuff this weekend. And Lord, I pray that every student here would choose to head home from camp willing to take whatever next step you're leading them to take. For those that gave their lives to you, Jesus, I pray that they would go home and tell as many people as they can what you've done for them. For those that repented and returned home to you, that, that when they go back into those settings and those friends expect them to be doing the same things that they were doing before, would you give them an opportunity to be bold and to share why they're not gonna live that old life anymore? For the students who still have questions, Jesus, I pray that those questions would continue to nag at them, that you would resource their youth pastors and churches and leaders to address those questions. And more than anything, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, meet them in and through those answers to those questions and lead them into a saving faith. And God, for those students here who it was clear this weekend that you have called them to something that is scaring the heck out of them that they're so nervous about. Would you, God, give them confidence, boldness, and courage, and would you remind them every moment that the Holy Spirit lives inside of them and so they can trust you? And would you do in and through them what only you can do for your kingdom? Thank you for this weekend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.